Matthew 2, 9 through 11. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen in the east. It led until it came and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed beyond measure. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Let's pray. Father, may our response to Advent season and the Christmas story be one of worship. We thank you for the example of these wise men in the New Testament who simply heard the message that a Savior was coming. And they saw Jesus at his most vulnerable, innocent, human state and still recognized him as the Savior of the world and worshipped him. May we also do that. May we respond with worship that you came to be a man to save all men. We thank you for Christmas. We thank you for the story and for what it means for us and for our standing with you. May we worship you because of that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you all for joining us this morning for worship. I have a couple of announcements I want the kids to stay for just for a minute, and then I'll send you kids upstairs. Number one, after the service today, we will have um, a good time, everybody together. We want as many of you to stay as possible, um, and even if you can stay for five or ten minutes or you stay for 20 minutes, we have 550 bags to pack out in the gymnasium with, that are Christmas presents for um, the inmates of the Whitfield County Jail and a couple other facilities um, that will be delivered through the Whitfield County Jail uh, Ministry and uh, the chaplain's office. Richard Steele, our own, one of our own members, is um, leading that charge. We want you to stay, and we want all generations to stay. It's going to be very, very simple to just go through a bag and grab one item from each box and then two pairs of socks and a piece of paper and roll up the bag and, or fold up the end of the bag and put it in a box. And that is a way that you can participate in packing these Christmas presents for 550 people um, this Christmas. So kids, we want you to stick around and encourage your parents to stick around to do that. Um, also, tonight is our kids' program. And that will be um, a kids' musical, some dances. We'll have cookies afterwards. Uh, we want you all to be here, whether you have kids in the show or not. Kids, we want you to be excited about it and be ready for it. The show starts at 6, and we'll have a reception in the gymnasium afterwards. The show is in here at 6 o'clock. Reception afterwards in that building. Um, hot chocolate, coffee, uh, baked stuff as a fundraiser for our youth program. Okay, so kids, that's what you need to know. Stay after to, uh, this morning and pack some bags and then come tonight for the show. And I'll go ahead and let the kids be dismissed to their kids' worship time upstairs. And that's preschool through the fifth grade that's making their way up there now. Um, for the rest of you, more things uh, going on in the life of the church that we want you to know. Um, we have multiple services coming up this week. Um, this is the week of Christmas. One week from today is Christmas morning. We will gather for worship on Christmas morning. Um, I should have said this when the kids were in here, but on Christmas morning, we have a little bit of an abbreviated service. We will start at 11 o'clock, and we are encouraging children to come in their pajamas that day. We know it's a busy day for everybody. We know you got other things going on that morning, so just bring the kids in the PJs and come, and we'll worship together on Christmas morning. Um, also, Christmas Eve service will start at 5 o'clock. That will be our candlelight service, again, in this room. Christmas Eve will be live stream. Christmas morning is not going to be live stream. It's going to be really simple. We want you to be here. Um, we, want you, we want to worship with you that morning. If you're not here Christmas morning and you're, you're unable to make it to either and you're looking for something to stream as your family is worshiping on Christmas morning, the live stream from Saturday night will be available to you. Um, year in giving, uh, it's always important to note this, that the end of the year is a time when many are considering extra gifts to a, a number of different charitable organizations. I saw the Barna report came out in the last week or so that out of all American philanthropic giving, 70% of American philanthropic giving is Christian philanthropic giving. 
The church of Jesus Christ in our nation is a generous church. And so much of what happens in communities to serve people and around the world to reach people with the gospel of Christ comes through um, faithful believers that are giving out of what God has given to them, giving back to the cause of Christ. So we encourage you to consider that um, as the end of the year is coming. And we just state if you're looking to get it in in 2022, um, you can do it by, uh, by any of the services we have left, either this week or the next Saturday or, or Sunday. Um, you can also have a gift postmarked by 1231. You can have it in the office by the 29th because our office is not going to be open on the 30th. Um, or you can give online by midnight that night. So keep that in mind as you're thinking through end of year giving. Um, I already mentioned while the kids were here what's happening at the end of the service today. And um, it's an important thing that we've done for a few years. And this year's a little bit extra special. Um, the the backpacking that we do, we do because of our partnership with Richard Steele, who has been a member of our church for a long time, has been serving in the um, Whitfield County Jail Ministry for 30 years, and Richard is transitioning this year. So, to mark that on this day that we're going to be really partnering with his ministry in a big way, um, I'm going to ask Richard to join me on stage, and we have a special guest Sheriff Scott Chitwood is also going to join me on stage. Both of y'all, Scott and, and Richard, y'all come on up. Um, we've done this a number of times where we've uh, assembled in the Christmas season to partner with this, the jail ministry and provide for the jail Christmas party but being that um, Richard is stepping out of the position of the chaplain of the Whitfield County Jail after 30 years at the end of this month, we felt it right to invite um, Scott to say a few words and also to present this certificate of appreciation. It's actually signed by both myself and Sheriff Chitwood for you, as well as a card from the elders. Richard, we're so grateful for what the Lord has done through you over these 30 years. That scared me to death when I saw myself on the big screen and I was, I was here. Um, <laughs> thank you so much. Let me kind of back up if I can take podium privileges here just a second. Uh, Larry Winters called me last week and invited me to the church and I have my own church and coincidentally today is our Christmas cantata at my church. So I told Larry, I said, well, I don't know if I can do this. You know, I said, I kind of felt obligated to go to my church with the Christmas cantata. Da -da 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 -da. The pastor called me on Thursday and asked me, can I come? And I said, well, if I can't, he suggested doing a video. So I did a video, which was about to play there. And then my conscience started bothering me, and I thought, you know, this is a pretty special day to recognize Richard Steele for 30 years of service. I feel more obligated now to come here to recognize Richard. My church has now disowned me, so I'll change <laughs> membership. You're welcome but, anytime. But let me kind of again back up. I got to know Richard probably. I'm very fortunate to be in my position. This is my 30th year. And Richard was at the jail volunteering at the time that I took office. So after maybe a few months, the first year or something, I approached Richard and I asked him if he would be interested in coordinating, overseeing, and kind of directing the jail ministry towards the inmates. And without hesitation, reservation, he accepted. So for the past 30 years, that is what he has done. He's always had a speaker lined up for our jail ministry. He has done Christmas parties for the families and the children of those inmates that are incarcerated. He's done a after-release program to help inmates get back on their feet. He opened a small thrift store down on South Hamlin Street because some of the inmates when they're released they have nothing more than the shirt on their back. Richard stepped forward and did this. As you just heard after church today you're going to pack 500 plus boxes, gifts for inmates. That's because of Richard Steele. So I wanted to come down and publicly thank him before his congregation 
to say, Richard, thank you for a wonderful 30 years. This is, as you know, a volunteer service. He received no compensation at all from the Sheriff's Office or the Board of Commissioners. But through your financial giving and your support, his ministry was a great success. And I'll, so with those words, I say again, thank you so much for everything. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Guys. Um, I'd like to just pray around Richard now. Um, thank God for the ministry that he's done through Richard um, over these many years. I have, I have my numbers here. I, I was supposed to remember these. Um, Richard's told me this several times, but I don't remember. Um, but I, my understanding, Richard, is that you've been to 59 countries on mission trips, over 600 people that you've taken on short-term mission trips with you, um, much of it in Haiti, um, served here in this community for a long time, even before um, the ministry in the jail started. Um, he's been faithful in this church and in this community and to the kingdom for a long time. So um, I'm going to praise God for what he's done through Richard's ministry. I'm also going to pray for those 550 bags that we're about to pack. Um, one of the great joys of doing this is the letters that we get after the fact of the people that come and say thank you for what this gift of joy and a little bit of excitement in Chris, at Christmas season, what that brings um, to that facility. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for, for Richard. I thank you for what you have done in and through him for many, many years. Um, through his calling into ministry, through his training for ministry, um, the way you brought him to this community. Uh, I've heard Richard say many times that he thought you would one day give him a church, instead you gave him a city. And what Richard has sought to do throughout his life is to find ways to minister to this community. And he's loved this city well through the jail ministry, through uh, men's programs, women's programs, through the, the thrift store, um, so many things, ministries to the homeless, food distribution. Father, you, you've used him in incalculable ways, in incalculable ways lives. And we praise you for that. Uh, we praise you for every uh, chapel message, every gospel presentation, uh, every time uh, an inmate who has um, been in a vulnerable spot or a place of despair, a place of searching, has heard the message of the gospel. And many, many have responded and received new life in you because of this ministry. And so, Father, we praise you for uh, Sheriff Chitwood joining us here this morning and his um, wisdom, how you worked through him to, to put the right person into the right position in, this, um, in the Sheriff's Department and then in the jail ministry here. And Father, we praise you for, for the fruit. And for those 500-plus bags that we have out in the other building, God, we pray that as we pack them today, we would um, be your servants to bring joy and hope into the jail this Christmas. We pray that those inmates would receive them in excitement and that they would receive the joy and that they would read the message that is contained and Father, recognize that there's so much better than the material, there's something so much better than the material gifts that we're so used to at Christmas. But the hope and life that the Messiah brings to us is what matters more than anything else in this life. And so, Father, may these bags um, be vessels of hope into a dark place. Father, we praise you for the opportunity to partner with you in what you are doing. So bless Richard as he discerns how, how you're using him in this next um, season of life. And, Father, bless these bags as they bring hope and light into the jail. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Absolutely, absolutely. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, sir. Sure, sure. Yeah. Go. You can go ahead. Yeah. Thank you, church. I appreciate your faithfulness and encouraging me by kind words and different things. I was in another church about two weeks ago, 
I, I was kind of new to the organization, the church and all. And a man walked up to me and said, what's your name, sir? I said, I'm Chaplain Steele. He said, Whitfield County? I said, yes, sir. He said, you came by my cell block one day and you spoke very kindly to me. You told me that there was hope in my life. You told me that God loved me. I didn't think anybody loved me, he said. He said, you told me that God loved me. That man today is preaching in a nearby city in a home. The gospel truly changes people, truly. And let's take it back to our lives. Our lives, we kind of got settled in. Ask God to revigorate the call of God in our lives as people of God. May it revigorate our church, our neighborhood, our people. That we might have a strong voice for the grace of God. Hallelujah. Thank you, church. We love you very much. Thank you, sir. I will add that um, one of the great joys and blessings um, in this season is recognizing that Richard has been able to identify and train um, multiple men that will be taking over the ministry from him. So the message of the gospel is going to continue to go into the Whitfield County Jail. Um, he's transitioning. There's great leadership over the women's side of it. Many of our women from our church are involved in that. So the ministry into the jail will continue um, faithfully, and we um, praise God for that. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 7. As we look in Isaiah, we see in a book of prophecy that there's so much that is written there that can be hard to confuse or hard to understand, easy to confuse. It, it, there's a challenge in discerning a prophetic book to understand what is God saying to the people then and what is God saying to us now. And so much of prophetic books is about discerning the signs. This is a season where we are all about anticipation and discerning signs. One of the things you look for in this season is those milestones, those markers in the calendar that Christmas is getting closer and closer because we anticipate it so much. And so this weekend in my house, we had an important uh, milestone in the annual calendar that the kids were released from school on Friday and now it's officially Christmas break. We have college students back home here um, in church this Sunday showing us that Christmas break is here. We're in the last week leading up to the big thing. So there's a, there's a, a, a post that we get past as we anticipate it. There's also signs that we look for. It's going to be really, really cold this week. Some people hate it. Some people love it. What's exciting about the cold is when the cold comes with snow, which it doesn't look like is going to happen this week, but maybe. But that's one of those signs that we're always looking for, discerning. You know what it's like to be checking the forecast and seeing what's coming next. You're looking at the future and you're looking towards a weather forecast to try to predict something for you about what's happening into the future. So right now, we're looking at, hey, it's going to be down into the teens this weekend. Hey, are we going to get some, some snow on Christmas? It's exciting to anticipate something like that. I'm not predicting that, guys. Um, but, but as we anticipate things and we look forward to things, that forecast that the weather gives us teaches us to look closely, discern signs, and anticipate. There's something similar happening here in Isaiah chapter 7. There is a sign that is given. And, and what Isaiah is telling the people of Judah and Jerusalem is something is going to change. And I'm going to tell you what's going to change. I'm not going to tell you all of how it's going to change but I'm going to give you a really essential sign so that you know when this happens, the big change is coming. The setting of Isaiah chapter 7 is one of great difficulty. We're going to start say, uh, Isaiah 7, 1 and 2. In the days of Ahaz, 
the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an, account, an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. So briefly, let's talk about what's happening there. Isaiah 7, 1 and 2. I've given you a little bit of a history update on where we are in the history of, of Israel every time we come to Isaiah, but let me remind you. There's two nations at this point. There's Israel to the north, ten tribes. There's Judah to the south, two tribes. Ahaz is the king of Judah in Jerusalem. Isaiah lives in Judah. The king of Israel uh, shows up here, Pekah. Pekah, who is the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel. And Pekah makes an alliance, a military alliance, with another nation, the nation of Syria and the king whose name is Rezin. So you have these two nations, Syria and Israel, who have made an alliance for the purpose of coming to Jerusalem and waging war against the nation of Judah. There's a complicated history between the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah, and this is the, its lowest point, where they're actually making alliances against each other. Part of the reason for the alliance of Syria and Israel together is there's a fourth power out there that's far more scary. They're called the Assyrians. And Syria and Israel, they're concerned about the Assyrians coming to attack both of them. But what they do is they go to Judah. They try to get Judah on their side. Judah doesn't want to join their alliance. So then they decide we're going to war with Judah. And here's Ahaz, the king. And I'll just tell you, what we looked at last week was Isaiah chapter 6. And we saw that Isaiah 6 was written in the day that you, on, in the year that Uzziah died. This is written not long after that, maybe a few years after that. But we're looking at Ahaz, who's a relatively new king, fresh king, inexperienced at this point. And he's facing imminent war as two rival nations have created an alliance to come and wage war against Judah. What would you do? What would we do if we saw two nations that were both larger and presumably more powerful than us make an alliance against us and come to our capital ready to make war? We might react much like Ahaz does in verse 2. The heart of Ahaz and the heart of all of the people shook as trees before the wind. Isaiah's told us something here, though. While the people are shaking, while Ahaz is shaking, Isaiah's already told us there's not an attack imminently coming. He does say that, in verse 1, they could not yet mount an attack against Jerusalem. What Isaiah is telling us, he's hinting at something here. That this threat is real, but the threat is not quite as real as Ahaz and the people make it out to be. Because Isaiah knows that that attack is not what the nation needs to be concerned about. That Syria and Israel are a distraction from what is most important. What is most important in the nation of Judah and in Jerusalem? I told you a couple weeks ago. It is their repentance. Chapter 1 tells us that the story of Israel, or the story of Judah, is the story of all humanity. It's the story of us. And what Judah's greatest need in Isaiah chapter 1 was, is also our greatest need. A recognition of our sin, repentance, redemption, and new life. That's our greatest need, just like it's Judah's greatest need. Judah's greatest need isn't to have a, a, an answer or a prayer against an alliance between Syria and Israel. The, what they need most is to recognize their sinfulness, see God in his holiness, repent, and turn. But the nation is shaking, is shaking in fear because there are rival nations coming against them. So God sends Isaiah to go to Ahaz. 
I'm going to read in, here in, uh, chap- or in chapter 7, verse 3. And you don't have to, you know, you can follow around. Not all of this is going to be on the screen because we're going to go quickly through most of it. And we're really going to hit on verse 10 and following. The Lord said to Isaiah, Go to meet Ahaz, you, and Shir Jashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway of the washer's field. And say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. Who are the smoldering stumps of firebrands? They're the nations or the kings. These two kings that want to wage war against God's people in Judah are just, in God's mind, smoldering stumps of firebrands. And the fierce anger and resin of resin and Syria and the son of Remaliah. Don't be afraid of them. Because, verse 5, Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah has devised evil against you. Do not be afraid of the evil they have devised against you. But rather, in verse 7, thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, the head of Damascus is resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. There's that reframing where Judah, Ahaz, need to be reminded to think beyond what they see and be reminded of what matters most. Don't worry about the military um, danger that you foresee that you are in. But really, you must first and foremost have faith in God. I'm going to tell you what this message is all about before we get there. I'm going to tell you that this message is all about God is faithful to keep his plan and to bring himself to his people. That's it. God is faithful to keep his promises, to complete his plans, and to bring his presence to his people. And, what, and that's what Ahaz needs to learn. So God gives Ahaz this promise. And then in verse 10, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask me for a sign. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. So God gives this promise and says, don't worry, Ahaz. The military defeat that you are afraid of, it's not coming. It ain't going to happen. You're going to be fine. Uh, uh, One note that you should know in there, I've said Syria and Israel, but then portions of the passage refer to the two nations as Syria and Ephraim. Ephraim is just another word for the northern tribe or the northern kingdom, the ten tribes of Israel, that is a rival nation to Judah at this point in history. So Ephraim, Israel, same thing. Syria is in alliance with that nation. And as this alliance is making war, Ahaz is given the opportunity from God. Okay, God says, I've given you a promise. Now, ask me for a sign. I'm going to give you something. What should I make the sign? And Ahaz, in his sort of fake, pious, religiosity says, no, 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 I could never do such a thing. Look at it. You don't see it as first, as a problem. You might believe that Ahaz is being genuinely humble in his response. Verse 11, ask a sign of the Lord your God, let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. Verse 12, Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, hear then, O house of David, Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? So this is Isaiah speaking. Isaiah knows that Ahaz has a whole lot of faking going on there. When Ahaz comes out with this pious response of, I'm not going to put the Lord to the test, Isaiah knows, don't act like you're so faithful. Don't act like you're so humble. We both know that you have no idea what to say. You weary men, now you're wearying God. You don't want to ask for a sign? Fine, I'm going to give you a sign anyway. Verse 14, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. You've probably heard this before. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. 
The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. So in that passage, there's a couple things going on here. Number one, you have a, a sign for Judah. Number two, you have a warning for Ephraim slash Israel and Syria. They're both going to be destroyed. You have a promise that the prosperity of Judah is going to be far better than when they were a united nation of Judah and Israel together. And oh, by the way, this warning that gets dropped in there about Israel has a name, and it's the king of Assyria. This promise is redemption for Judah and the king of Assyria for Israel and for Syria. Because it's not long after this that, that the Assyrians come in and wipe out this northern nation of Israel or Ephraim. But today our task is to unpack the sign. The sign is right there. It's a passage that's quoted in the New Testament. It's a passage that's written into Christmas songs. It's a passage that we know well. Verse 14 is the central sign of this passage. Now verse 15 and 16, they're going to confuse you because you're going to look at 15 and 16 and say, what is this prophecy about? We have some extra details thrown in there. I know that verse 14 is about Jesus. I don't know who or what verse 15 and 16 is about. And here's a principle of looking at Old Testament prophecy. Old Testament, here's a principle. I'll give you the easy principle first. It's hard. That's a principle. You can write that down. Um, but the real principle is that when you approach Old Testament prophecy, there's a great number of them that are not fulfilled in one single event, even though it looks like it's going to be. Even when it looks like Isaiah is saying, there's one child that's going to come, and then boom, 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 all this is going to happen. There are a great number of Old Testament prophecies that have a double fulfillment, where there's actually two things that happen long, far apart from each other, that are both a part of fulfilling this prophecy. And that's what's happening here. There is, most likely, two children being spoken of here. Because there is an imminent, there's an imminent reality in which the prophecy is being fulfilled as a child that is being born, and that child is a sign of the king of Assyria coming in and wiping out Israel, and Judah being delivered from the threat that Israel and Syria were, uh, were posing against it. There's a child that's probably born within a few years of this prophecy happening that fulfills that part. But that child, is a sign of Emmanuel, but not Emmanuel. There's an ultimate fulfillment that gets spoken of later. It's actually quoted. Matthew, in his gospel, sees, understands what's going on in the world around him in his generation and remembers Isaiah chapter 7. And in Matthew 1, right after, you, you hear the story about Joseph seeing an angel appear to him. Matthew records at the end of chapter 1 of his gospel, all, verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So there's probably a child that's there in, the, in Judah that is a part of fulfilling this, that that's what verse 16 and 17 are talking about. But verse 15 is the ultimate sign that goes far beyond Judah. Because here's the thing about the, the book. This is another principle of just reading the Old Testament, reading the Bible as a whole. You always want to start with what the passage meant then. You want to read the book. You want to read it to understand what God was saying through his mouthpieces into the society of his day, into the struggles that they were facing, the challenges that were right in front of them. So what does this say to the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah, to Old Testament followers of, of Yahweh, or to New Testament followers of Christ? That's our starting point when we read the Bible. But there's another part. We then have to build a bridge to understand what is God saying to us today. In light of what he's saying to them, in light of what he is doing amongst them, what is the principle, what is the message, what application can we take, what lesson can we learn that speaks into our lives today? And the message is simple. God keeps his promises. God completes his plan. God sends his presence to be the solution for his people's promises. 
This sign has three parts, and we'll look at each. This is a sign of destruction, a sign of redemption, and it's also a sign of restoration. The sign of Emmanuel, the sign of this child that would be called God with us, is first a sign of the destruction of God's enemies. Israel, a part of his chosen nation, Ephraim, the ten tribes, had become one of God's enemies, and their day was coming. Their justice was coming. And the promise for Judah is a promise of destruction for Israel. And from that we know that throughout every generation, what God is going to do is God is going to work through his people and destroy his enemies. So let's look at the Emmanuel that we sing about, that we worship, that we celebrate in this Christmas season. Emmanuel, who is God with us, does he bring destruction Does the birth of that child, the true Messiah, the Son of God, the King, does that birth of that infant bring destruction? Of course it does. From the moment that the child, Emmanuel, Jesus, is born, it is a new phase of the story of God's defeat of of Satan, the enemy, Satan, the enemy of God, Satan, the enemy of God's people, the forces of darkness all around Their day has been coming throughout all of Old Testament history. And though it looks like, throughout the Old Testament history of Israel, it looks like Satan, and it looks like the opposing forces that are against God's people, it looks like they're winning, kind of a lot of the time, really. Just like in our day, it looks like evil is winning. It looks like those that are against God may have more power and authority than those that are for God. It sometimes looks like that in a society. But the reminder of Emmanuel, the reminder of the birth of that child, is that destruction will come. Victory will come for God and for God's people, and destruction will come for God's enemies. So we have three parts of this. The, the, the um, Isaiah generation part, they had nothing, the nation of Judah, Ahaz, they had nothing to worry about with Syria and Israel. That was Isaiah's generation. The generation in which Jesus was born recognized that when Jesus went to the cross, death was defeated. The grave was defeated. Satan was defeated. And they would have no more power anymore. And yet we live in an age post that defeat. We live in an age in which we say, and we come together every Sunday so that we can remind ourselves of this truth because it's easy to forget We say and we remind ourselves, death is defeated, the grave is defeated, Satan is defeated, evil is defeated, the sinfulness in our own flesh is defeated. And in the end, hope. In the end, the kingdom of God is coming to reunite with earth and we will be present in the fullness of God's presence and person forevermore. And that promise has been made to us and that has been achieved for us. But as good as that sounds, it doesn't always feel like it. Sometimes we need that reminder. Sometimes we need a reminder that speaks into the real world that hope anchors us for all of the forces of evil that still seek to wage war, though they have been defeated. So the first sign in the sign of Emmanuel is a sign of destruction. Destruction for Syria, for Israel, destruction for Satan, destruction and ultimate, the end of all pain, of all sin, of all evil forces in this world. It's coming. And all it took was a sign of a little baby who would be called God with us to make it clear God is keeping his promises. So it's a sign that destruction is coming. It's also a sign of redemption. Genesis 3 promises the first man and the first woman, those that sinned, that the greatest enemy of God's people would continue to wreak havoc in their lives. And that the descendants of the woman would be in a battle with this great enemy, the serpent, we know him as Satan. But there's also a promise in Genesis 3 that one day that serpent would be crushed, and it would be crushed specifically by a descendant of a woman. And that is the story that Isaiah is adding a chapter to in Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah knows what Genesis 3 says. 
And so, he draw, so God is telling a story with a line from Genesis 3 to Isaiah 7 to Matthew 1 and throughout all of the Bible where there is a baby that is coming to crush the head of the serpent, God's greatest enemy. And in that, he is breaking the effects of the curse of the fall. He is bringing to completion the promise that God makes to the first man and woman. And he is righting the wrong of the fall. You see what happens in Genesis 3, you have the man and the woman, they sin. And because they sin, sin enters the world, and everyone that is born of a woman from that point on inherits a sin nature. Except for the one that is exceptionally born through a virgin and born in an exceptional way. God with us, Emmanuel, comes, and he comes to redeem what has been broken. He comes to crush the head of the serpent and redeem those who have been born of sin. Being born of a woman is to be born of flesh. Adam was not born of a woman. Eve was not born of a woman. God could have created the Messiah, could have sent Jesus to come to earth as a man in a different way. Jesus was eternal with God in heaven before anything was created. God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, co-eternal before any part of the world was created. But then when it was time to send the Messiah into the world, how did God do it? He didn't form Jesus from the dust of the ground. No, he sent him to be born of a virgin, to be born of a woman, meaning that he took on the limitations of human flesh, the limitations of generations of humanity. That is what it would take to be descended from the woman in order to be the one that broke the effects of the curse, that crushed the head of the serpent, that righted all that was wrong in generations of sinfulness and disobedience against God. And here we are, brothers and sisters, we get to celebrate that Emmanuel has come and God is with us. A sign of destruction, a sign of redemption, and ultimately a sign of restoration. There was a relationship that was broken in the garden. You see, in the garden, there's several things that happen. There's an enemy that must be destroyed, Satan. There are sinners that must be redeemed, Adam and Eve, and all the generations that come from them. But there's also a presence and a relationship that must be restored. The storyline of the Bible deals with all three of these themes. An enemy to be defeated, sinners to be restored, and the fullness of presence being restored to people and between people and God Almighty. Look at how God created Adam and Eve. He created them in relationship with him. In the garden, walking with him, communicating with him, no sin in between the in between the man and God and in a perfect relationship. And every page of the Bible from Genesis 3 on is focused on redeeming that situation so that the presence can be restored. It's one of the themes of the Bible that's easy to forget about. Did you know that God wants to be with his people? So the word Emmanuel, the name Emmanuel, means God with us. It's a declaration in Isaiah 7 where it's like God is screaming to his people, I want to be there. I want to be with you again. But see, because of the sin, because of the rebellion and the disobedience, God in his holiness, in his transcendence, we saw that last week, God is so much more holy than we can imagine. We are so much more sinful than we can imagine. So the distance is great. It's not some small distance. But God is working through his plan and his purposes to restore his presence to his people. And there's phases throughout scripture. I'll prove it to you. First, you have the presence of God in the garden. It's beautiful. And then it's broken. And then God is working to find, the, to, to bring redemption to his people so that he can again dwell in the midst of his people. The next phase of that doesn't come for many, many years. When the people go to enter into the promised land and on their journey, they create this tabernacle by God's design. There, while the people are in flux, traveling from one place to another, God is present in the midst of his people in the tabernacle. 
pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night, staying in the tabernacle as they're not moving. God is present with his people again. But there's limitations because God is holy and people are sinful. There's sacrifices that have to be made. There's, there's restrictions on who can enter into God's presence and, and how. God is present with Moses in Sinai in one way. God's present in another way in the tabernacle as the priests enter in. It's a picture of God's presence. It's a piece of God's presence. It's not the fullness. When the people move into the kingdom permanently, there's the temple. God dwells in the temple to be in the midst of the people again. Still, barriers, sacrifices, priests, limitations to the way God's people can interact with God's presence because of our sin and his holiness. That's what Isaiah is wrestling with in in 6, which we looked at last week. How can he be present in the holiness of God when even the seraphim, these mighty angelic creatures, can't even look at him, can't even look at who God is? And yet Isaiah can as he's being purified there. So we have the garden, the tabernacle, the temple, and then God moves out of the temple. God gives his people up to their destruction and exile. And for a generation, he's not dwelling with them in the temple. There's this dark period of history where it seems like God has completely turned his back on Israel. And then what's the sign of the next phase of salvation history? Emmanuel, God with us. His name means that God wants to be present with his people and he's doing it in a new way in a new season of time. First it was the garden that was broken by sin. The tabernacle was limited. The temple was limited. Now God is going to become a man so he can dwell with his people. Better news than any of the previous iterations of God's presence. But guys, it gets better than that because here's where we are. Every time now, here's the challenge. Every time we sing or we remember or we talk about this beauty of Emmanuel, God with us, I'm gonna make you a challenge. Emmanuel, God with us, is Jesus who is in the flesh, dwelling in the midst of his people. And that's not the end of the story of God's presence. It's just a new chapter. It's an amazing chapter. It's a beautiful chapter that it's a sign of God's redemption and restoration of all things. But it takes on a new chapter. Because Jesus, think about as Jesus was getting ready to leave. His disciples don't want him to leave. They don't like that he keeps talking about dying and leaving and all that stuff. And what does Jesus say? He says, it's better. It is better for you that I go away. It is better that the story of God's presence doesn't end with Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. It's better that the story of God's presence takes on a new chapter, a new phase. The Spirit of God now in our age dwells in us, among us works through us, empowers us, convicts us of our sins, shows us the truth of God's, uh, of God's word. It directs us in how to live a life of faithfulness to God, empowers us for the work of ministry. It is so much better to have the presence of God with us in, this, in the person of the Spirit than to have the person of Jesus. That's what God is promising us. That's what Jesus is saying in his last days. So when you sing the songs of Emmanuel, recognize you're in a better point in salvation history than those who actually saw Emmanuel born and living. But there's a better phase yet to come still. Because as great as the Spirit of God is dwelling in us and among us, we know we still face these limitations. We still struggle with sin every day. We still see the effects of wickedness and brokenness in our lives and communities every single day. So what is next? And the answer is that Jesus returns and the sign of Emmanuel is a sign of the restoration, not just of his presence to a people, but his restoration of all things. Because God came, because God came in Jesus once, we know that that Jesus who lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, rose again from the the dead, and then ascended into heaven, we believe that he will come back because he's kept every promise so far. And if we believe that we we will come back, then we know that the presence of God that we're enjoying now through the Spirit of God still pales in comparison to what it will be like to be in the heavenly kingdom as the kingdom of heaven and the and the, the, the earth come together into one eternal kingdom where Jesus is the light 
because there's no need for a physical sun anymore. But the glory of God shines light onto everyone, and we live in the presence of God together with him forevermore. And the beauty of that is something that, man, you thought the tabernacle was cool. You thought the temple was cool. You thought Jesus Emmanuel was cool. You thought the day of Pentecost was cool. And what's coming is greater, better, far more beautiful. But here's the problem with us. God's people don't tend to trust him very well. The nation of Israel didn't trust him. Ahaz didn't trust him. And all throughout the history of of the nation of Israel and all throughout the history of the church, we see unfaithfulness, we see rebellion, we see disobedience. But here's our challenge for us today. The challenge for us in this season of, of Advent, in this season of Christmas, is to embrace a deeper longing for the presence. To look for the signs of his coming, to celebrate the destruction of the enemies of God. You know, it's weird for some people to talk about spiritual warfare and spiritual forces. It feels kind of creepy, but it's, it's real. And those forces are here to, to, still kill, to steal, kill, and destroy. And those forces are really, truly being devoured and defeated by Christ the Son. Perhaps there's some that need to receive redemption for the first time as they hear this message that Emmanuel, God, has, wants to be with his people so much and wants to restore his people so much that God has made himself available to his people through the person of Christ. Repent of your sins. Repeat, receive life today. But as we long for the presence, uh, there's a story that just occurred to me. Uh, last week, um, several of us had the opportunity to um, go caroling. Really simple thing, a really easy event to, to gather and organize, and we all come together and we go different places. Much of the caroling we did was to elder care facilities. We went to four different ones in town, two, two large groups of people. It was beautiful. And you know what you learn? Two years after a pandemic in an elder care facility is those people are so desperate, more desperate than ever before, for presence. And I don't mean T-S. I mean C-E. For the presence of other people. Humans with flesh on that are going to come and sing. It was so joyful to come into the presence of people that were longing to be present with other people. And I want you to think about that. As you celebrate your holiday, you're, you're going to be longing for the presence of your loved ones. You're going to be longing to be with family. You're going to be missing people that have passed on, people that won't be there for this holiday celebration. But I want you to think of the greatest, the deepest longing for presence that any one person, any human could ever feel. And let's discipline ourselves to really long and to really embrace this longing of the, for the presence of Jesus, for the presence of the true conquering king who is bringing all things to completion and bringing us back into his presence. And as the, the band comes to lead us in song, I want us to reflect on the joy of Christmas, the joy of this newborn king, and also the joy of the throne room of God where we sing to the one who is worthy of all things, and we long in the darkness, in the confusion, in the heartbreak, we long for the fullness of his presence for all eternity. Would you stand and sing with us?
Father, we praise you for an opportunity again to enter into your presence and the gathering of your people and to praise you for coming as Emmanuel, to praise you for the gift of life, the gift of eternity, and the redemption we've received. And so, Father, move us now into a deeper longing for your presence. May we live in the light of eternity preparing for eternity, longing for eternity, and Father, living as your ambassadors, encouraging others to prepare as well, to live lives of faithfulness, and to seek repentance through Jesus. And God, as we go now today to serve our community and to bring light and hope to those in a dark place, Father, use the bags that we pack, use our efforts to bring honor and glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now remain standing, receive the blessing from the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace. If you're able to stay and pack bags, you can just make your way down the hallway out there. We'll be ready to go in the gym in just a minute.